Magic.me is my school for magic, meditation, and mysticism. You can go from knowing nothing to within a few weeks ruling your reality using every technique under the sun from chaos magic to hermeticism, NLP, even real-world economic and career advice and tools and techniques to supercharge your existence. I offer the very best of ancient wisdom and far future technology and a lot of humor. In the meantime, at magic.me, we have everything from courses you can take in an afternoon to courses you can take over three months to completely alchemize and transform your entire existence with a great and dedicated community of students who's constantly interacting in forums and also in bi-weekly live office hours. It's the greatest school for magic on the planet, and I really hope to see you there. You can see it at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. Go check it out now. Thank you. 
Yes, hello, and welcome to episode 71 of the Ultra Culture Podcast. Awesome show today. My guest is my old friend and all-around awesome person, Sarah Finn. Let me read you a little bit from her bio. Sarah Finn is a visionary artist and writer working in virtual reality. She utilizes her background in traditional arts and ritual immersive theater performance to explore themes of psychedelia, lucid dreaming, and mysticism. Her work focuses on creating bridges between the analog world and the emerging field of VR. She is the host of her YouTube show, Dream Seed VR, where she shares her insights on cyberdelic culture. You can find her work at sarahfinn.com and dreamseedvr.com, and her name is spelled S-A-R-A-S-A-R-A-P-H-I-N-N. So Sarah and I had a brief but really, really interesting conversation. We talked about um, emerging technologies, VR, AR. We touch on blockchain a little bit. We talk a lot about NFTs, um, non-fungible tokens, which a lot of you are probably aware of by now. But if not, definitely you should be aware of it because this is yet another thing that's going to shake up everything. Um, And uh, she talks quite a lot about that in this episode. Um, It was it was a great conversation and we touch also on the overlap between these technologies and consciousness, mysticism, magic, shamanism, psychedelia, all of the hits. Um, students of magic.me will be particularly interested to hear uh, that she talks quite a bit about the Muse headband, which we use quite a lot at magic.me. Oh, and by the way, speaking of virtual reality, uh-huh, I'm releasing the show on May 18th. Tuesday. So this Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, we are doing office hours, which we do every second week at magic.me, which you I'm sure heard me talk about quite a lot or attended. That's the open forum with magic.me students where we discuss um, practice questions or questions that arise within the, the um, you know, the magic experience and things like this. And we have an awesome time and we go, we go hard uh, every few weeks. So That's at 1 p.m. PST, but as I have mentioned to students previously, we are going to test our very first virtual reality session. Um, So we're all going to be hanging out in a big kind of open area where we can all interact in virtual reality. That we're going to do one hour prior to office hours, so that will be 12 p.m. this Saturday. So to be clear, it's 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time this Saturday, May 22nd. In order to access this, you're going to need a virtual reality helmet of some type. And that means anything from my current favorite, the Oculus Quest 2, all the way up to, and that's a standalone VR unit and ones like that, or 
all the way up to fully wired, you know, heavy duty ones like the HTC or the Oculus Rift. I don't think we can do the phone based VRs yet where you kind of strap your phone into a headset, that type of thing. I don't think those will handle the software yet. But that said, if you have a VR helmet, the software will be free. And uh, just send me an email if you're interested in this, if you have the gear. If you don't have the gear, don't email me. But if you if you want to participate and you're able to, send me an email at jason at ultraculture.org. So my email is jason at ultraculture.org. So that's going to be at 12 p.m. this Saturday. And I'm really excited about that. It's just a test. We're going to see what we can kind of get away with and interact with in, in virtual space. But we're going to be doing, if it's successful, we're going to be doing more of these. And assuming enough people have the gear and want to participate, we're going to be doing more of these at magic.me in the future. And I'm very, very excited about the potential for that. So join me in this very exciting experiment. It's going to be a lot of fun and super futuristic. And if you happen to be listening to this podcast after the date has passed, that's okay. We're probably still going to be doing these. So just go to magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E. And presumably, if we start doing these regularly, I will be posting schedules uh, there. So worry not if you've missed this. So I'll see everyone there who can be. I'm really excited about that. And in the meantime, please enjoy this awesome show with Seraphim. So we're talking about far future technology and its relation with esotericism and the ancient technology of consciousness. But why don't we start off by, you want to just tell us about what you're working on, your work, who you are, all the good stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, gosh, it. I've been described many things. I've got to try to think of the one that I find best suiting. We just, we just call me a cyber witch. That works. It's simple enough. Yeah. What uh, what is the job description of a cyber witch? Uh, best trying to find the ways that modern technology interfaces with the archaic. So how how does technology relate to consciousness? How can we better channel consciousness into technology? And you have a particular interest in VR, right? Yeah. So I'm interested in how, how did you get involved in that? And where do you think the potential for that technology is? And you, you've been involved in VR for like a long time, right? So yeah, since about 2014. Um, my background is actually a traditional artist. So the sculpture, painting, performance art, it was really ritual performance art that got me into VR as I wanted to be able to create my own immersive environments for the ritual performance art and immersive theater stuff. And so VR was a way for me to like be inside painting. It was a way for me to create those environments and a way to make subjective mystical experiences immersive for other people. And so after being a muse in the scene in 2014 in the Bay Area, I sort of dipped out of the Bay, but then I really focused on taking my traditional arts background and integrating it into virtual reality art. Okay. So uh, what are some projects you've worked on recently? and Or if there's any you're working on right now you want to talk about? Let's see. So a couple of years ago, I started creating concept art for various startups that were working on meditation apps in VR. And so whether they were like representations of different energy systems or creating meditation spaces 
that were customizable and best suited for different kinds of purposes and moods. That was something that I worked on with a company called Sodalic, and that's still in development, but we're pretty excited with where it's gonna go. We're also fine tuning it to be a multiplayer experience for people so they can sort of connect and create community around meditative practices. And uh, before that, I initially started working on meditation VR stuff with my good friend Paige Turner, and she was working in 2014 on a project called Floating Euphoria for the Oculus DK1. So that was my initial entry into that world. Um, but since then, I've been just exploring how to take um, personal experiences and <laughs> for lack of a better word, like revelations in my own personal dream time space and bring them into VR and how I can take artifacts from dream time and turn them into digital technologies that are accessible to other people. So one of the things that I find really fascinating about you is that, well, we have somewhat similar backgrounds. I mean, we actually went to the same school, but the, um, you very much have come out of the psychedelic underground and like you studied with Sasha Shulgin and all of these people and you come out, you're not from the tech world initially, nor, you know, nor am I obviously. And you are, you've gone into the tech world to explore it and, but also to bring this kind of deep tripper, you know, deep tripper wisdom into it, I would say. Right. So that I find really interesting and I'd, I'd love to hear you talk about that a bit, but also so you're mentioning using VR as a medium to get your kind of personal magical work into it or lucid dreaming, that type of thing. So I'm curious about this. Yeah, so I come from the visionary art community for sure and psychedelic exploration and stuff like that. Um, for me, VR is the the one medium that you can use to create a subjective visionary experience that people can go inside of. So rather than it just being a painting or being something 2D that people interact with as sort of just a snapshot of an experience, you can create something where they're inside of it and they can feel it on a more direct experience kind of level. And technology just got ripe enough to where I felt like as a traditional artist, I didn't have to struggle with, you know, a mouse and a 2D screen. I could actually go inside the medium and you know paint in my imagination and that that direct experience and like no threshold in it was really appealing and it didn't really come around until maybe about i started painting in vr in 2018 but i've been interested in vr since 2014 and i initially came across uh, tilt brush at a meetup in san francisco and that was when i knew that the time had come and that you know analog artists would be able to to paint in a way that would be indistinguishable from, from digital sculptors and, and artists. Um, but just being able to create things from the mind with, with such little uh, tech know-how overhead was really appealing. And um, I also have a, a really strong interest in cinema. And so being able to create my own set and basically treat VR like its own directorial studio and have easily accessible visual effects and stuff was, was really appealing. Um, yeah, the psychedelic experience is interesting. I don't really like to angle at it from a shamanic perspective because I feel like there's something ineffable that you can't capture, but I like to think of it as cartography. So I like to go out and just sort of map 
the different varieties of experience. And if people happen to see some kind of overlap with their own experiences, that's really useful because I feel like collectively we all map out these these various places and dimensions and it'll, you know, the medium is the message in a way. So I feel like VR in and of itself is a new language. It's a new way for us to share information and it's even rewired the way I think. And it, it's definitely rewired the way I dream. Um, when I was younger, I was not very adept at lucid dreaming. And it was funny because whenever I noticed I was dreaming, I felt like I was trapped inside a video game that only had so much of the level developed. So I could really feel the edges of the place. And it was disappointing and I would usually wake myself up. But going into virtual reality on the regular to paint, I noticed that I was becoming lucid more often and I wouldn't pop the dream once I realized that I was dreaming. And because I had spent so much time painting in there, it really showed me that I was in control of the environment or I could at least interact with it on a level that I wasn't capable of before. And uh, when I looked into the science of it, it's something that researchers had noticed that um, people who spend a lot of time in virtual reality do, in fact, begin to lucid dream more often. Really? Yeah. That's really, really interesting. Do you think that, and you said that you think it changes the quality of your your dreaming and your waking experience? Oh yeah, How, without a doubt. Can we say more about that? I mean, is that kind of like when you play too much video games and you could see them with your when you close your eyes or is it more of like a long-term thing? I think it's more of a long-term thing. Um, it's not just the fact that you become more lucid, but you become more aware of the different states of consciousness that you're in. I think it's because on some level, your brain knows that the VR is a simulation because you're conscious and you've like, you know, willingly entered into the VR space. But it it's almost like it's asking your brain to reevaluate the state of consciousness that you're in more often. And so you're constantly sort of checking that. And then when you're in a dream, you'll notice little artifacts or qualities, you know. Um, I remember so many times that I would have a psychedelic experience in a dream and I would be looking at, you know, what I would essentially call the, the graphics card of your brain, you know, and how it's piecing together the experience. And that would often trigger lucidity. But then looking at dream architecture or the quality of characters or the quality of the narrative or just the texture of the place, like it would, it would pop, you know, my consciousness into the lucidity, but then also invite me to interact with it and to explore like what dream lesson there is or how to manipulate the environment kind of inception style. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been really interesting because then it, it's pushed a long-term narrative in the lucid dreams that is pretty much like beyond my wildest imagination. And that's something that I try to explore how to make accessible to other people. Do you think that just kind of the, like you said, the medium is the message that just the metaphorical nature if you will, of VR, of the fact that you're constantly popping in and out of realities by just by putting the headset on or taking it off, um, does that does that help with lucidity, right? Because then, yeah. you know, my my hope with you know, as you might imagine, my hope with VR is, which is not unique to me, but it has always been that it will demonstrate to people something important about the nature of normal reality, yes. right? That yes. it, it is Maya in a way, right? Mm -hmm. And that you can wake up from it. We, whether, and that includes both waking and, and dreaming. They're all layers of illusion, even waking life. And 
I honestly think that my work just in whether it's psychedelics or or dance or ritual performance in waking life and then my personal dream life prior to VR and lucidity they've all informed each other but in a way VR has pushed the threshold of like how I interact with my waking life and my dream life and VR is really just a way to prototype reality and to prototype all the other states of consciousness so it's like a, a big living 3D chalkboard and I feel like the things that you hash out there are qualities that you can take into the other layers of reality. Excellent. So obviously um, we've talked about VR for a long time. I mean, like I, I started to get super interested in it when the DK1 came out. Um, but I got a little bit, as usual with me, I got super invested in it early and then decided, oh, this isn't going to happen, and then like change focus before it did happen. And I think that now, my frustration at the time, um, like actually I was, I was running a blog about VR, I was sponsoring events in the LA area a little bit, and my frustration was, or excuse me, the frustration that I was hearing from big corporate VR people was that there wasn't enough content yet. And I'm get, that may still be the case somewhat, but... The really exciting thing for me, one of many exciting things is now we have the, you know, Facebook has put out the Oculus Quest 2, which I think is the first truly viable consumer VR, both in terms of price point and ease of use um, for the average normie, right, to just put it on and turn it on and it works, which wasn't the case before. So I think we're edging much, much closer to mass adoption. My My interest in it has always been obviously for magical use, but also for, uh, you know, change of consciousness. And I've noticed a lot of artists have, similar to you, approached it like that. So for instance, uh, Nani de la Pena, do you know her? No. So she's, she's I've actually used to work with her at Disinfo uh, a long time ago. She's a, a journalist, but she was, her interest was, I saw her speak with, uh, in LA several years ago. She was creating apps that made people basically feel what it was like to be a refugee in, in a war zone. And her whole interest was using VR to inculcate empathy where people could understand other people's experiences. And um, I think that is super exciting. The use of it for creative use, for magical use is really exciting. So I'm kind of curious where you think the best way, not just the best way VR can go, but how we can make sure that it stays a medium as you're saying for artistic exploration and not just for making vr candy crush or whatever the vr instagram is going to be or 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 maybe this is futile but becoming totally corporatized and controlled in the same way that the 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 normal clear uh, net worldwide web has been well a lot of times people ask me if they have to be any good at art to enjoy making art in vr and i don't think that's the case at all i think that just the experience itself, like the, the process and just exploring and, and seeing your movements in the space expressed in, you know, paint or, or brush strokes or sculptural stuff is really exciting. Like you don't have to be skilled to appreciate the magic of it. And I think that reminding people that they can explore that and that that translates into the real world is really exciting. I feel like um, it's empowering on a cool kind of sci-fi level. 
uh, one of the principles that's really helped me in general is thinking like, I would much rather be creating content than consuming content, even if it's just exploring stuff for fun to see what happens. A lot of times as an artist, I'll have a concept and I'll go in with a goal, but sometimes the most free and exciting magical things that happen are when I go in with no expectations and I'm just exploring the space and seeing what's possible. And uh, I've introduced so many people to VR and a lot of them don't have any artistic background, but when they come out of it, they're so elated and enchanted and they have this new sense of um, what they think is possible has broadened. And I think that maintaining that kind of childlike play and like excitement and innocence about the medium is going to, is going to be what prevents people from having that narrow-minded perspective where they just go in for some pre-curated uh, game, especially because so many of, pardon me, the games that people play come from a 2D screen synthesis. Like that's the, you know, whether it's Tetris or Candy Crush or all these 2D flat games being brought into VR, that's not really realizing the potential of the medium. And I think that once people get in there and explore, they'll be able to see that there are so many different uh, perspectives and interactions and ways of moving in the space that are a lot more analogous to how we live our life in a normal waking 3D world. Because like we're 3D monkeys, you know, we walk around like there's depth and rather than just like living your life on a screen or a news feed or a 2D platform game. Yeah, it was interesting as you were saying that it was it was occurring to me that, you know, like we've obviously grown up with 2D games and games that are kind of interactive, but not really. And but younger kids have grown up with Minecraft, mm -hmm. which I think probably maybe you I don't know if you agree or not, but probably uh, primes them very well to interact in that type of interactive VR space. It does. Yeah. Both socially as well as like co-creatively and spatially. That's really exciting. What about um, AR? Um, do you have an interest in AR as well? And do you think there are overlaps there, um, particularly for consciousness? Yes. Yes. The short answer is yes. I have an interest in both AR and VR. Some people are one camp or the other, which I think is silly. Uh, they're really just two layers of the same beast. I think that um, AR is the way it connects to the, the waking world or just, you know, the in real life world and VR is the fully immersive experience. I like fully immersive um, just because you can completely create new worlds and things like that. But I think being able to sort of bridge the two worlds, <clears throat> pardon me, is definitely the strong suit of AR. I have a huge interest in AR because it can depict energy systems and then bring them into the real world. So whereas a lot of people think about AR fashion or they think about, you know, just like embodying their their other kin. And I'm not I'm not being mocking, I'm just being cheeky. Um you can essentially show, you know, hidden energy systems or moods or all all different kinds of data that wouldn't be visible otherwise. Whether, um, you know, a, a good friend of mine, T-Fairy, she's fantasized about having a pair of opalescent butterfly wings for a long time. And she just wishes that, you know, people could walk around with their AR and like look over and see that because for her, it's an intrinsic part of her personality and how she 
um, you know, embodies her avatar, as she says, in the real world. And being able to have that overlap, I think, would be not only interesting on a psychological and cultural level, but it'd be really interesting on a magical level. Because then you could kind of see the things that people prioritize about their their work or their identity or their imagination or, the, you know, whatever they're interested in. Yeah, one thing that, that has occurred to me a few times is, you know, obviously we have for, for many years suffered with this... Um, uh, cultural obsession with identity wars. And it's occurred to me a few times that this is maybe a a bit of a preview and a ramping up into what happens when human identity itself becomes almost infinitely malleable, whether that's in VR or AR or with biotechnology or a combination of all of the above, right? When reality truly does start to become like second life, where you people just have almost infinite optionality at that point to customize their their who they are uh, and i think that'll be very interesting i don't know if you have thoughts on that i think it's a double-edged sword i think about films like ready player one where a lot of characters would sort of hide their insecurities behind uh, their digital avatar as opposed to just finding the kind of personal synthesis where they accept themselves as they are and like find their empowerment in that. Uh, Cause I think that like we all have our own stories and backgrounds and things, but I don't like people to feel limited by those things. Um, I'm also reminded of a film called The Congress with Robin Wright. It's a personal favorite of mine. Anybody who's interested in, in that field should definitely check it out. Um, it's, it's definitely a dystopian film that shows the the downside of being caught in uh, virtual and AR worlds. But I think that just, you know, planting the kind of seeds that help us wield these things with responsibility culturally is really the goal of my work. Cause we're just at the beginning of an era and everything that all the, the pioneers do is a drop in the bucket. But if the things they do can influence uh, the kinds of perspectives and ethics that people take into how it gets developed when the rubber really meets the road. I think that that's the most important things that all those pioneers now can do in the field. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. We are definitely at the beginning of a, of a era, you know, with technology that's only going to increase accelerating. But, and I, I think that in a sense, you could look at it as what artists, creators, uh, people, you know, insight people, philosophers, whatever, um, you know, what people who are commentators, what people are doing right now seems like a drop in the bucket, but at the same time, which you were kind of alluding to, it's really critical because we have a chance now, which we may not have later to shape how things um, take shape and whatever seeds are planted now, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever seed is planted now has the chance to grow exponentially into the future in a way that we can't even conceptualize. Well, in a way that, for instance, the accelerating curve of blockchain, you know, how fast the cryptos take off is perhaps a metaphor for how fast things can blow up now. And I think that's going to keep accelerating and accelerating as the world becomes faster and faster and ever more, ever more networked. It's a wild ride. You just even in the past few years, seeing the trajectory of VR and AR, initially people were sort of lamenting that it was moving too slow, that it was going to pop um, the same way that it fizzled out in the 90s. I, I was, yeah, and I was wrong. 
And uh, same thing with, with cryptos and now NFTs and things like that. So for me personally, this was the reason why I started my project Dream Seed VR was because I not only saw like the cyberdelic overlap of psychedelics in VR, whether it's referring to like Tim Leary or John Perry Barlow and thinkers like that, but I also saw that the psychedelic movement was continuing to grow and like for better or for worse, more and more people are, you know, taking the trip, taking the ride to figure out, you know, what, I don't know, what's behind the curtain in their own consciousness. And I wanted to sort of like give them the the understanding that VR is an invaluable tool in that regard. Yeah. And I'm guilty of that in the sense that, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, where even with magic and things like that, where, you know, and, and as I alluded to in this podcast earlier, it's like, I'll go all in on something early. And then it's like, like you were saying earlier, like, do it's like you're poking it, like do something, do mm -hmm. a barrel roll and it doesn't happen. And then you're mm -hmm. like, ah, and you move on to something else and then it explodes. Well, the, it, well, in a sense, this is the nature of how magic works anyways, where it's the, you know, it's usually when you give up on something happening, which yeah. is when it does happen, right? Yeah. The lust of result gets dropped. So, but, um, you know, everything is exploding for sure. Maybe talk about NFTs a bit too, because this is very, very new. A lot of people are still not aware of what's happening in the NFT space. And you have a lot of, you've already got a lot of experience in it, positive and negative. I'm, I'm still just trying to get my head around what it is, but maybe if you could explain to us what NFTs are and what kind of experience you've had there and what you've seen. Yeah. So in layman's terms, an NFT is a non-fungible token. It's a certificate of digital authenticity that's linked to the blockchain and it's minted to the blockchain, whether that's Ethereum or there's going to be some other coins that are creating minting um, pipelines as well. There's a lot of different websites where people can auction their NFTs, um, Rarible, OpenSea, Foundation, Super Rare. And it's a great way for digital artists to get their work out in a way that creates value the same way that traditional arts would have value. Like you'll have your original OG Picasso and then you might have some prints, but the prints are all a part of an edition. So you can mint your NFT as a one-off if you want it to be the, the OG, or you can do a series of editions, which is awesome. You can do it for just about any digital medium and so it's been really exciting for um, not only just normal traditional 3D artists who do sculpting, but also video artists. And um, the VR world has been a little bit slower to figure out how to adopt it, just because not everybody has the means to to utilize the, the VR assets the same way. But there's been a lot of um, VR people figuring out those pipelines and anticipating being able to share virtual assets that are immersive. So people are already minting avatars and digital artifacts and um, access to different uh, virtual spaces and stuff like that. It, it's really interesting because it creates a sense of value where there was none before. There are a couple little loopholes which are still being ironed out. There's still people attempting to counterfeit NFTs, like if you have your stuff um, out publicly, open source, you know, like say on Polygoogle, for example, uh, there was a situation a couple weeks ago where somebody decided they were going to download a bunch of the open source assets and then try to mint them and sell them. And the community is tight knit enough that we noticed it right away. And uh, we all came to one another's aid and stopped it dead in its tracks before it got too far. But it was still a reminder that there's several kinks to work out in that field, but it's great. Cause I mean, in the future, people will have their, their protected assets where you can trade 
the digital objects. Like whether, like right now I'm trying to work on a series of dream artifacts that will plug into a game that I'm developing about a series of really, I don't know, for lack of a better word, phenomenal dreams I've had. And uh, I want people to be able to to pick up the NFT digital artifacts, the the dream artifacts, and integrate them into their gameplay in the environments and stuff. So they can trade them with other characters. They can, you know, develop them or add on to them and that sort of thing. Yeah, it's a limitless situation right now. There's a lot of buzz, people sharing ideas on Clubhouse in particular, how it's going to be used in terms of like buying avatars and buying assets and um, so yeah, it's, it's just like a new currency and it'll even move into services as well. It's exciting too, because it gives artists a lot more power mm-hmm. uh, economically, right? Uh, which is kind of the real, for me, the most exciting thing about blockchain in general, that it allows people to cut out middlemen mm-hmm. and have more power over their own economic destiny, right? So in the sense with artists, you now all of a sudden you don't need um, a publisher or any of these other things that has always been an interest of mine. And that's really exciting. So let's, let's change tax. Uh, I mean, I have a challenge for you. I, we've kind of been talking about, um, introductory info on things and where things are at, um, you know, and angles in for magical thinking. Where's the radical, where do you think that the most, you know, where are the options to really extremely lightning shock people with these new technologies you know what do, what do you think the most the not not the entryway but the most radical things that could be done with whether it's the technologies we're, we've been talking about or other ones to for whatever use i mean to radically change consciousness of people to perhaps shake people out of this you know bullshit uh, existence we've been thrust into or or anything in that vein so i have a close network with a lot of really amazing VR artists and developers who are psychedelic and magicians and and just like galactic minded folks. And they're working on a lot of really amazing things that'll probably pop into existence in the next two to three years. Um, on a, on a level accessible right now, I think it's actually quite simple, but it's highly personal for each person. Um, a lot of, magicians and magic obviously is in the real world but a lot of it's like you know sigil work on paper and for me personally i've been very slow to integrate my magical practice into vr just because i know how potent it is and i like to exercise caution because it's uh it's really powerful stuff but just being able to create uh, visual representations of your intention in the VR space is supercharging. And it can be something as simple as tilt brush or quill. Those are really accessible to everyday people. But I think just taking really tried and true practices and supercharging them and overlapping various disciplines. So for me in VR, it was the one medium where I could integrate um, the arts as well as performance, you know, I, I still use herbs and oils and all of the like old school methods, but I integrate them with VR. So it becomes this multi-dimensional experience. And 
just being able to like move your hand and have that like magical stroke of energy there that you can see really changes it. I use a lot of ASMR and meditative stuff. I, I really love integrating my Muse headset. And I noticed that a lot of developers are looking into using EEG headband technology with VR, uh, whether it's meditative or just gameplay stuff. That I'm I'm super interested in um, because, uh, you know, we, we use the Muse a lot at magic.me um, for, you know, all the students do. And, you know, we've been using that for tracking meditation, meditation progress. So I'm, I'm really interested about that. And I think probably um, the students of magic.me who are listening to this right now will be too, if you want to talk about where that overlap is. Yeah. So um, let's see. I know that... Andrew Jones, as well as his developer, uh, Anson Fong. Woohoo, bros, I love you. Um, they are working on Microdose VR, which just recently launched, and they've been integrating the the Muse technology into that to have the biofeedback with the, the visual set, which is really great for meditation as well as therapy. They have been working on um, a side one called uh, Chromadose, and that specifically was created for therapeutic uses. So when you say visual feedback, is that like you're getting visual feedback of your brain, your brain waves? Yes. Or, that's cool. Your brain waves, um, your heart rate. Um, they even wow. were doing the breathing with is like this, the this is out already? So I don't know if the EEG compatibility is out already integrated with microdose, but I know that behind the scenes, that's what they were developing with it, uh, especially with uh, chromadose. And I think it's something that they'll continue pursuing because it's way too fertile or like overlap to ignore. Um, I'm working with some friends on some potential projects that'll include EEG integration because um, my homies have a pipeline for that. I'm just gonna keep it a secret for now. But uh, there's a lot of people thinking about this overlap and developing it in real time, like right now. So we might see more of that in the next year or two. Um, but I, I think that taking data from the real world and our biology and our consciousness and finding ways to you know symbolically represent it so we can interact with those things on a conscious level is a huge part of vr in the future i don't think it's just going to be like a blind visual um interface i think that it's going to give us a way to be more aware of our bodies and our thoughts and how they're interconnected and then also how we can control um, you know, our experience and, and shape our reality on all the different levels. That's really, that's really exciting to me, obviously, both, both philosophically and practically. I mean, in the sense that I'm not a, you know, I'm not a Luddite at all. I get a ton of use, even out of something like the Muse and having biofeedback loops and data loops. It's critical. I think it's, you know, in many ways, the best thing that has, has ever happened in, in terms of consciousness work. You know, I pointed out to my students, just talking about the Muse or other consumer neurofeedback devices, it's never been possible ever in human history to have a direct feedback loop. You've just had to have a meditation teacher hit you with a stick when they see body language that you're drifting, right? But it's like nobody's ever, nobody's ever had, it's like the invention of the microscope. No one's ever had it before. They've just had to second guess and, and you know. Yeah, what I'm trying to explore in my work in the near future is how, and because a lot of um, my experimentation with the Muse, I'm not the best at meditation. I'm not gonna lie. I have a very loud, chattery ADD monkey mind. And um, 
So for me personally, I found that when I would use the Muse headband, when I would do, um, for lack of a better word, like my silly mystical hand dancing, that my brain would quiet down immediately. And so like ritual movement is the way that my brain has trained itself to meditate. And so even though the Muse is a little finicky when you move around, um, just with a little bit of like musical aid, I drop right into that space and it, it's super solid. I get so many little bird tweets. I'm very, very proud of it. And uh, so I've wanted to train my brain in such a way that I could create visual cues for real-time projection performance art with the headband. So the the audience can actually like witness in real time where my consciousness is and then use my consciousness as a tool to create the environments and the spaces that the the character inhabits. Because I'm really into the like the mirror neuron phenomenon. It's the reason why I love cinema. You go into a theater and you watch this thing like a fly on the wall, but you're also embodying the characters. You know, you're relating to them and pretending you're them. When you're a little kid, you leave the theater, you're still stuck in the movie for hours on end. Yeah, explain that because uh, for those who, 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 because that's a really, really important concept. Explain mirror neurons for people who may not know about that. So, Essentially, when you watch someone do something, there is a part of your neural structure that is um, sort of plugging you into their shoes. It, it's similar to like a, a cognitive empathy thing, but it's really apparent when you watch um, athletes or performers or dancers, in a way, your your body and your mind are transposing their experience through their body um, into your imagination. And my personal mirror neuron network's pretty powerful, whether it's from um, like flow arts and poi and watching people dance and just kind of amoeba-ing what they do, but also like archetypically and, and through cinema, um, really just like diving into the the feels and, and the position of the different characters and stuff. Um, once you realize what's going on, it's easy to recognize and to see in your daily life, like where that's being picked up. Um, but when I noticed that feedback loop, especially for empowering people, because a lot of times people will think, oh, you're a performance artist. Is this about ego? And I'm like, actually, the whole reason I got into it was from watching other people and feeling really empowered watching them just be elegant badasses and embodying different archetypes and then like stepping into mythical consciousness. And I wanted to, to pass that spark on to other people. So when I go out there and I do my thing, like it's, it's not really about me, it's about them living through me in that moment and then taking that with them. And so, um, and that's one of the reasons why I really enjoyed embodying different like nature archetypes and just reminding people of their own intrinsic connection to creation and nature and being empowered in their own consciousness. And I think that being able to integrate something like the EEG control of the the projection art would really be a, like another symbolic level where people could see that they control their reality. They can transform their relationship to their environment and sort of like mold it and have their own feedback loop in that regard. Really, that's really, really powerful. That's such an important concept. I mean, just um, certainly in the NLP idea of mirroring and matching and modeling and things like that, but also just, it's such an important thing to keep in mind that, you know, and that what we're, 
the message that we're communicating with people is never really what we're saying. It's who we're, what we're embodying. What we're embodying within the world is what we're most powerfully communicating to other people, uh, and that's why it's so that's why it's so awesome to get around people who are, as you're saying, you know, empower, you know, embodying something very powerful or archetypal. Mm -hmm. You know, it really has a uh, it has a very potent effect on people's consciousnesses. I mean, perhaps the most potent effect, right? So, um, well, where do you think the we're unfortunately working on limited time, but I'm curious where you think, I guess I have a few questions, but the first one is where do you think things are going to go within the next one to two years? What can we see immediately on the horizon to be aware of? I mean, so much stuff has happened just this year. We've got NFTs, we've got um, Clubhouse, we've got, you know, there's a ton of new technologies coming out. Obviously, the how crazy blockchain has gotten yet again. Uh, you know, has just but it's just blown up, and we saw the whole GameStop thing and things like that. So things have been pretty novel, if you will, for the last year. But um, where do you what do you think is out on the horizon for the next one to two years? There's a lot of digital autonomy happening right now, where people are coming into awareness that um, they have a lot more control over their circumstances in in the digital sphere than before. Like especially the GameStop thing and GameStonks. Um, I definitely see NFT continuing. There's going to be a bumpy ride with, um, Bitcoin and all of the smaller, for lack of a better word, shit coins for sure. But I think that the long-term game is much more important. This is still just the beginning. A lot of people think they missed a boat in some regard, but they didn't. A lot of people feel like they missed the NFT boat because there was just this huge explosive craze, probably from November until recently. But I think that, um, what I call the soccer mom hype is going to fizzle out and it's really going to leave the people who are more committed and see where it can go. And uh, there's a lot of people developing multiverses with NFT integration. Um, there's a lot of different, uh, just like f multiverses in general, whether it's Facebook Horizons or Decentraland or Somnium Space, which I like Somnium Space. Plug. And uh, I think that people are going to see that there are lots of these sort of like garden walled virtual worlds, whether it's VR chat or rec room. Um, and I think the next step is going to be finding a way to integrate them and connect them <clears throat> to create like a portal between them all where people, <clears throat> pardon me, have a consistent identity and they have their consistent um, crypto wallet so they can still exchange resources and, and trade art and NFTs. So I think just finding a way for all of these sort of separated garden walls to connect to one another is definitely the next step. And I think as people sort of mature in their way to um, be their own creators, because a lot of times people will go to Fiverr or they'll go to independent artists and commission things to create their avatars and their, their different virtual worlds and stuff. But um, the incentive becomes more and more enriched for people to start creating their own stuff or just like create community around that. So there's um, a sort of rapport between the artist and the consumer. That's one of the really nice things about NFTs is that when you buy an NFT, you're not just buying a piece of art, you are investing in the the growth and the identity and the ethos of the artists that you've supported. And you're essentially like investing in their legacy, which I really like that concept. 
Um, so I think that we're just going to see a lot of um, exploring and experimentation, but a lot of maturing and a lot of like just burning away the superfluous stuff that was related to hype in the field in the past six months or so. That's awesome. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you think about like the hype when Bitcoin started and, you know, it died down, what, in 2010 and where we are now, yeah. that gives you a bit of a preview of the roadmap. Awesome. And and I agree with you about the investing in an artist, artist legacy, just in the same way that Kickstarter and Patreon made it possible, but in a way that really carries forward into the future is so powerful and exciting. You know, I mean, what could be better than empowering individual artists? Um, okay, where can people find out more about you and your work online to follow up? We unfortunately had limited time, but we'll have to do another one I would in the love future. That. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot to explore. So I have a humble little YouTube channel that I call Dream Seed VR. It's Dream Seed underscore VR. Do a lot of commentary on philosophy of science fiction and psychedelics and virtual reality. Um, I also have DreamSeedVR.com, which is sort of like little blog magazine style thing. Um, and yeah, for the next month or so, you can check out a lot of my virtual reality artwork on PolyGoogle. Uh, unfortunately, PolyGoogle is going to be shutting down June 30th. So that's sort of limited. And I'm working on transferring to a new gallery space. But for those who happen to have VR and have Tilt Brush, in the meantime, they can go check out PolyGoogle and my profile there's Seraphin. And they can check out my work in VR, which is super cool. And uh, you can follow me on social media on Instagram. I'm dreamseed underscore VR. And yeah, uh, as well as on Twitter, it's the same handle. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for sharing your, uh, your, your super insights on this. I mean, this is, I, you're so far ahead of where I am on, on thinking a lot about this stuff. And it's, it's really exciting to have this talk. Thank you so much for having me chat with you about it. All right. It. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it again. Sweet. Okay, hope you really, really enjoyed that. As always, meet me at magic.me, M-A-G-I-C-K dot M-E for the world's best training ever in magic, meditation, and mysticism. And join us this weekend for office hours and even VR office hours, as I talked about in the intro, if you can. All right, see you there. And until next time, lots of love. Hang in there.